Last week we began discussing the way in which poskim who are influenced primarily or heavily by the positions of earlier authorities, how they go about determining which position to accept. We outlined several different factors, such as rove, either formally or informally, how many poskim ruled in accordance with a particular position. We dealt with cases in which multiple poskim agree about a particular halachic conclusion, though for different reasons. We talked about ways in which poskim weigh the relative number of poskim versus the relative expertise of poskim who weigh in on a given issue, and a host of other um, factors. But most of those are not specific to a particular posik. They talk about numbers of poskim, expertise of poskim, perhaps the relationship between poskim, Rebbe and Talmud, uh, and the like. Um, but there is another area of halacha, or another category, which influences the way poskim choose the authorities that they take into account when determining what the halacha is. We saw this already in the context of the Beit Yosef, where the Beit Yosef chooses the majority position of the Rambam, the, Ra- the Rush, and the Rif, where the, instead of, as he says, for simplicity, instead of looking at all the Rishonim and trying to figure out what the majority is, he takes these three representative poskim and rules based on what he thinks the majority is, though as he knows, there are exceptions to that rule in cases where there is a clear majority of practice um, that opposes the position of these three major authorities. But perhaps the category in halakha, which most highlights the other type of considerations that Postkim will bring to bear when looking at previous authorities, is the category of Maradatra. Classically, the Gemara notes that rabbinic authority was localized. The Gemara, the Mishnah on the Gemara in Shabbat of Kuflamid, tells the following. Rabbi Lezer Omer, the Mishnah is debating what one does when having a Brit Milan Shabbat. So a Brit Milan Shabbat is Doche Shabbat, if it's Bismana, if the proper day, the eighth day, falls on Shabbat, then you are allowed to, and the mitzvah is to have the Milah on Shabbat. But the Tanaim debate what you do, not with the Brit itself, which violates Shabbat, because you're making a Chabura, but what you do with the materials that you need with the tools that you need for the Brit Milah if you forgot to bring it before Shabbat. The Gemara, the Mishnah here is dealing with a case in which you have to traverse a Rishud Harabim, a place in which it's biblically prohibited to carry. So Eliezer says you're allowed to bring it on Shabbat. Uve Sakana, Mechaseo Piedim, if it's a time of danger, so you cover it, not our issue for the moment. And he goes farther, You're allowed to cut wood to make charcoal um, in order to make the metal. And Klal Amri Rabbi Kiva, but Rabbi Kiva disputes this and says, Any activity that could have been performed before Shabbat without Diminishing from the Brit Milah must be done before Shabbat and cannot be done on Shabbat. The Gemara then says that the majority position was that of Rabbi Akiva. But, Bimkomo Shel Rabbi Eliezer Hayyukur Tim Eitzim Lasot Pichamin Lasot Barzel B'Shabbat. 
Drawing another machloket, the Gemara notes that there was a dispute whether one was allowed to have chicken, poultry, and milk. Rabbi Yossi Aglili felt that it was permitted, and in his place, that was, in fact, the position that they followed. And the Gemara then tells a story that when Levi went to the house of Yosef Rishba, they had brought him chicken and milk, and Rebbe challenged him and said, why didn't you put him in Cherem? And he says, maybe I was in a place where the authority was, Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, and maybe he rules in accordance with Rabbi Yosef and if that's the case, then I had no right to challenge him or no reason to challenge him for serving chicken and milk. Now from here, you, and then the continuation of the Gemara says that the people in these places who would follow their local rabbis in, were, were in fact rewarded and lived long lives. And the Gemara celebrates this notion that at a certain level, the way we relate to rabbinic authority is local in nature. The phrase Maradatra literally means the master of the place. And this category, as I mentioned before, is, another, is the beginning of another type of consideration that is taken into account. All those factors that we talked about last week are general factors that any posek might bring to bear on a discussion. But, as the category of Maradatra teaches us, and similar considerations emerge from discussions in Psaq about Asela Harav, about the obligation to make a personal teacher for oneself, indicate that poskim, and the same in this case is true not just of poskim but of laity as well, may not give equal weight to all authorities, but may have reasons, in the Mishnah and Gemara's case, because of geography, for example, for choosing a particular Authority, Though, as we will see, this model becomes expanded and explains much of the way that modern Psak works. Where does this authority come from? So the Ridva, in a very surprising comment, writes that, in fact, the authority of the Maradatra emerges from the same Pasuk, from the same verse, that is generally assumed to grant the rabbi's authority in general. And even though that Pasuk, namely, normally applies to the centralized authority of the Bedina Gadol, of the high court that sits in Yerushalayim, and perhaps can be expanded to the authority of Chazal in the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Ridva assumes that that basic authority that is granted to these institutions is in fact granted on the localized level, to people's personal authority or geographic authority. Now, the institution of Maradatra, that one fundamentally follows his local authority, has weakened significantly in the modern period. And there's an article in Tradition 27.4 by Aaron Kirschenbaum where he notes this um, extensively, that the that for several reasons, um, the authority of Maradatra in a geographic sense has been diminished. One he notes is simply the fact that the majority of the Jewish people do not keep halacha, and therefore the notion that any individual posaic may 
quote-unquote control a given locale is really called into question. Furthermore, he notes that there are, um, in certain places, more, even more expansive authorities that ostensibly overpower the authority of local rabbis, such as places where there's a chief rabbi, whether it be Israel or England. Uh, additionally, he notes that for many people, their posaic is not their local authority, but their Rosh Hashiva or their Rebbe, and that authority transcends geographic boundaries. And therefore, he notes that there are very few places in which there is a single rabbi, a single rabbinic authority, who exercises the type of control and halachic power that's outlined here in the Gemara. But for our purposes, I want to focus on a different aspect here, and that is the following. As mentioned, what interests me for the moment in the sugya of Mardatra is that, as we've already established, one of the central factors in Psaq in determining the halachic decision is what have previous authorities said. But the category of Mardatra tells us that sometimes it's not about numbers or even expertise, but about personal connection. Now, the classic model was, as we said, geographic. But, as we'll see in just a moment, that model became a stand-in for communities deciding that rather than going to every sogya, trying to understand what the canonical sources said, trying to assess the majority view or the most compelling view from previous authorities, they were going to choose personal authorities upon which they would base their psaq under all or almost all circumstances, um, thereby granting that particular authority significantly or almost absolute weight um, as compared to other authorities. And this move begins to, begins to be seen in the Rajba. The Rajba in Chelek Aleph, Tshuva and Gimel, describes the following phenomenon. He describes there were, there were communities where instead of determining each halacha, starting from a blank slate, going from the sugya through the earlier authorities, they took as their starting point the position of the, the Rambam or the position of the Rif. And the question he asked was whether, in fact, in such a case, a community that has accepted it, whether there can be any exceptions to the acceptance of that authority, whether they can diverge in cases where their actual rabbi disagrees with the position of the Rambam or the Rif. And he writes as follows that from the model that we learn in the Gemara of Maradatra, we learn that it is in fact legitimate for a community to take a particular authority as binding on them, even when that position is in the minority, which again seems to go against many of the rules that we discussed last week. But then he pushes farther and he says, this model of Maradatra which originally meant that a localized geographic community accepted as their posaic a living 
local rabbinic authority can be expanded to a community, for the Rajba, presumably an actual geographic community, accepting not a living rabbi, not a local authority, but accepting the halachic positions of a previous eminent authority, such as the Rambam and and the Rif. And he argues that that is a legitimate model of approaching Psak. That is a legitimate way for poskim or for a community to determine their halacha, rather than trying to figure out what did the majority of authorities say, or what did the greatest authorities say, but to pick a posaic, and under most circumstances to treat that posaic as if he was the maradatra. And this is what he writes, by this expansion of the model of maradatra, this was the model that these communities took, which was to choose an authority and make them as if he was their Mardatra, which, as we've already seen in the Gemara, was a model that allowed poskim, or allowed laity, but for these purposes, um, this model is the same, chose to follow a particular authority and therefore avoid all the questions of counting numbers of poskim and weighing relative expertise and Talmud and Rebbe and all the complications of last week. And the Rajba writes that despite the fact that the original model was a geographic community with a geographic, local, living rabbi for a community, be it for him, a local geographic community, to shift that type of authority onto a book or a collection of precedent, the positions of the Rif, the positions of the Rambam, is fundamentally legitimate. Now he notes that this model and this comparison and this shift is not absolute. And he notes that if that while this model shares similarities in terms of the authority it gives and the responsibility it shifts to this deceased authority, to this towering figure from the past, while that shares in common with it, with the, with the model of Maradatra, this notion that you can shift authority to a particular person rather than try to weigh the relative merits of the arguments or the merits of various opinions in the earlier, the earlier halachic poskim, it's not identical. And therefore, if there's an actual Rav who in a given circumstance says, yes, we normally follow the Rambam, we normally follow the Rif, but here we do not, so then, the kavod due to the local rabbi would overpower this commitment to the Rif, the Rambam, and the like. But what we see here in the Rajba is that from the category of Maradatra, the Rajba learns in another methodological tool in terms of how we approach the positions of earlier poskim when attempting to determine a halachic position. Essentially, what he says that is legitimate, what we learn from our doctrine is that it is legitimate to not take into account what all poskim have said, 
but to, at least for most circumstances, accept a particular halachic tradition. And this model becomes the basis for really much of Psak in the last 500 years. Because this model by the Rajba becomes accepted by the post-game who assume that post-Shulchan Aruch and Ramah, post the codification of Jewish law by Rabbi Yosef Karo, and the comments on that of Ramosha Israelis, Ashkenazi and Svardi post-game, or people, are now bound to the authority of these two preeminent post-game. And therefore, rather than look at what all previous authorities have said, they have to wait the position of these authorities much more heavily. The way, as we've noted, the Beit Yosef himself did to the positions of the Rambam, the Rush, and the Rif, where he gave those three the, the essentially final say rather than the other Rishonim, despite the fact that he recognized that the other Rishonim were important as well. Now, I have to bracket for the moment the question of how one defines Ashkenazi and Svardi in the modern world, because these were originally geographic categories. Um, and now they tend to not be geographic. They tend to run along ethnic lines, identity lines, um, family origin lines. And the question of exactly how that happened is quite complex. We will only touch on the issues that are relevant because, descriptively speaking, however one thinks we got here historically and halachically, many modern post-game who view themselves as Ashkenazi or Svardi and the like, take this Rajba-esque model in terms of determining which halachic positions they give the most weight. So to mention a few examples, if you look at the Shur Chaim Bad, he writes as follows, No longer have the authority to simply rule as they want. We are bound, even when assessing the positions of previous authorities, to follow the rules established in each community. And it is known in the entire world. Because we know that the sages of Spain and of France accepted on themselves and on their children forever to rule in all places like Rabbi Yosef Karo, even if all the Achronim challenge him. Now, there is a bit of hyperbole here, and there are exceptions to every rule, and putting together each and every exception would take many, many shurim. But... For our purposes, what emerges from this tshuva is that the model already set up in the sugya about Mardatra and its expansion from an actual living authority to the authority of a previous halachic decisor, which the Rajba used to justify the halachic practice of certain communities who follow the Ram and the Rif, by the time you get to later tshuvot, is used to explain why instead of going back to the sugya or even going back to the Rishonim, many post-game can, or for the Chaim Bad, are obligated to follow the positions of very particular previous authorities, in this case, the position of the Beit Yosef. 
If you look at the Shem Hagdolim, he writes similarly. He writes, "Vidashe kibaldi mizignei Torah sheshamu mipek kadosh arava gadol ir vekadish marenu arav chaim abulaf yazal shekiblu shekabalah biyado." I heard from many great scholars who heard from Rukhaim Abu Lafia that he had a tradition. That because Rabbi Yosef Karo, as we noted, followed the Rambam, the Rif, and the Rush, that rule was so compelling to the authorities in the time of the Beit Yosef that he schemes that 200 other authorities signed on to this methodology. And therefore, anyone who follows Rabbi Yosef Karo is following the position of 200 rabbis. And here, again, you see this commitment to the Shulchan Aruch, but you see more than that. You see that one of the ways in which poskim determine which authorities they should follow is by which positions they view as stand-in for consensus. At last week we spoke about that, the difficulty in assessing consensus, and what the Shema Gadolim tells you, that one of the ways that postkim will determine consensus positions is by finding those postkim that they feel themselves reflect consensus. And therefore they can follow that position. And this type of model, one goes through Chuvot, especially postkim like Rebavadi Yosef, will completely dominate the conversation. Because as much talk there is in Rebovanya's Chuvot about the power of Rove, in the end of the day, he's very explicit that he doesn't just count numbers. If the Beit Yosef says something, that will overpower many, many, many other authorities. Because of this idea that the Beit Yosef stands in and has been chosen to stand in for previous authorities and consensus because Beit Yosef himself followed the Rajba-esque model of picking three authorities and 200 rabbis chose to agree with him and the communities therefore that follow the Beit Yosef choose to identify with this group of authorities and everything they represent. If you look at the Urim Vitumim and Eibshitz, you see that the same type of argument was made for the Ashkenazim following the Ramah. And he writes, "Befrat din shenis garbishul chanaruch, any law fanishul chanaruch, vamechaber varama hishmito darachalek." And both the mechaber and the rama do not mention the position that argues kabbalah biadi v'gam raiti midayanin mumchem. I have tradition, and I have seen judges, expert judges, rule this way. V'chein danani, and that's how I judge. Uva miblilit on kim lek darachalek. You cannot. Even invoke Kimli. Now, Kimli is a halacha where someone comes in and says, Yes, I know the majority position is X, but you cannot force me to pay money because I was relying on Y, and therefore, in order for you to prove that I owe money, you need to prove that this is the only way the halacha could have turned out, but I was relying on a position that would make me exempt. The Urim Vitumim says that it's if that position is not mentioned in the Mechaber or the Ramah, the position, for all intents and purposes, is dead and cannot be invoked even as a legitimate outside position. Kevan Sharav Beit Yosef Ramah. Jamuzi Chrono Achareya Delet. Ein Lachushlo. Since 
the Beit Yosef and the Ramah put it outside the door, you do not have to worry about it. And the community has accepted to follow the position of the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. The short formulation is found in Shulchan Aruch, Udati, Ein Safik Yaakov Bektav Miyad Hashem Yiskil Yadam. There is no doubt that this it was written from God and it is successful. Because all the questions that were raised by the Achronim against Shulchan Aruch and Ramah have been answered in sharp ways. And therefore, again, I must reiterate that how exactly it came to be that this idea of being Ashkenazi or Svardi moved from being geographic, people who lived in certain countries and became ethnic identities, the descendants of those who lived in the communities that identified as Ashkenaz and Svart, that is a sheer for another time. But the fact that poskim lima'aseh, practically speaking, will not always attempt to judge what did the majority of previous authorities say, or what did the greatest authorities say, but will rather pick particular authorities based on this expansion of Marda Atra, based on models like the Shem HaGadolin, pick authorities that they feel represent consensus without actually doing the hard work of figuring out is this in fact consensus, but rather saying that position must be the consensus or assuming that it was the consensus in the past. That model determines much of modern Psach and often Psach follows that type of methodology of not looking at what all previous authorities said but particular authorities with which one identifies geographically, um, ideologically, or otherwise. Now, while I did note that the exact question of how we got here is complicated, as Lichtenstein noted in an article, The Legitimization of Modernity, Classical Contemporary, and right, Nathaniel Helfgott expanded on in an article entitled Minority Opinions and Their Role in Hora'ah, while the Rajbah expanded the notion of Maradatra from an actual geographic community with a geographic rabbi to a geographic community with a previous authority who is not actually present, modern Psak, as I've already noted, has moved in the direction of defining community as well in terms of identification. Um, and therefore he notes... that it seems legitimate for communities, such as his example, would a Ger Hasid cease to be part of Beth Israel's community just because he had moved to Paris? And a Sephardi congregation in Warsaw could still be bound by the rulings of the Rishon Litzion. The model established in Mardatra can be used, and in fact descriptively is used by Poskim even when the Mardatra is not geographic, and even when they're poskening for communities that are not geographic. As Rav summarizes it, the point is, however, that spiritual commitment rather than geographic contiguity is the determinant factor. That what the Rajba opens up is this possibility that when choosing a psak, one can choose a particular authority with, when, with which one identifies and again, while for the Rajbah, that was a local community, choosing as a whole to accept the authority of the Rif and the Rambam, once you move into this type of thinking, 
community will also be redefined. And people will choose to follow particular authorities. And again, as I've said, while the exact history of how this happened and how and why it happened is a topic for another time, the fact that descriptively speaking, poskim, who identify as Svarti, will often give outsized weight to Rabbi Yosef Karo. Ashkenazim will give outsized weight to the Ramah. Certain communities in Eidun Mizrach will give that final say to poskim like the Ben Yishchai. In cases of Yoridea, many will give final say to positions of the Shach and the like. That type of model really descriptively captures accurately the methodology of many poskim that not only do they not attempt to poskin directly from the Gemara, they don't even attempt to poskin based on their independent determination of what the majority of poskim said, but rather they come to identify with either individually or as a community with a particular posik or set of poskim, and they grant the outsized authority to those positions. And that determines most of their halachic decision-making. Again, as we noted from the Rashbah, this model is not identical to Mardatra, and under a given circumstance, there may be exceptions to this rule, and that is fine. But much of Psaq, in fact, follows this type of expanded Mardatra model that begins with the Rashbah and then becomes even more expanded in, in modern times. And this, I think, um, is important to understand that once we move to the model of Psag based on previous authorities, often we're not talking about um, shifting the burden to an individual posse to determine what the consensus has been, but what we're doing is we're actually choosing authorities that stand in for consensus or simply that we identify with as a community and granting the authority, if not absolute, stronger than other postgame to a particular position. And that acts as a shortcut for much of halachic decision-making. Often we're talking about Ashkenazi and Svardi, but it is worth noting that the same thing happens, as Ruvachansi notes, within subsections of communities, whether it be Hasidim, um, Paskening like the Rebbe of their of the Hasidut that identify with, or in a certain sense, communities paskening like their ideological founders, such as Luchensin uh, argues for the modern Orthodox community following Rabbi Soloveitchik, or it mean the students of a particular yeshiva following the positions of their Rosh Yeshiva and the like. And as I've mentioned several times, this model is not just instructive in terms of how post-scheme often make their decisions, but it's also true to the way much of laity makes their decision. Because while this is true of post-scheme, as the Rajma notes, an individual post may, under certain circumstances, learn a sugya and be completely convinced that a different halachic conclusion is in order, one that violates the normal rules of the community's psak. But when it comes to laity, non-post-scheme, Often the choice of a particular posek as their authority is almost absolute because they are not approaching the sugya uh, independently. And therefore, while this model exists both for poskim and for laity, for poskim it exists under most circumstances. For the laity, often once they've chosen a posek and rule 
based on him, this shift of authority to an individual rather than to the consensus of previous authorities is essentially absolute.